Welcome back to Apologetics for Tweens. I'm Tom Griffin. In this episode, we're going to discuss debating with atheists and non-believers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything you do for us, all our blessings, and especially for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. I pray that this message will reach all those who need to hear it, and that in hearing it, will help them recognize you in their lives and seek you in a deeper way, find you, and believe. May everyone who already knows you, Lord, maintain their faith and be confident to share about you with others. Amen. In an earlier podcast, I mentioned that I frequently engage online with non-believers in a Facebook group called Religion Discussion Group. You can check it out. Ironically, it's mostly non-believers who make the daily posts and comments. But I've learned a lot through my interactions with this 20,000-some member group over the last several years. I want to share some of it with you because at some point in your lives, you will encounter non-believers and need to be prepared. And much of Jesus' time on earth was spent with non-believers, so we shouldn't ignore the opportunity to share about Jesus with them. But fair warning, it's often frustrating, disappointing, discouraging, and seemingly unproductive. But we should do it anyway. It's only our job to present and share and defend the gospel, not to convince them to Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing the Holy Spirit is a maximally great being, or a conversion to Christ would never happen on its own. The reason I engage online is so that the tens of thousands of members who never comment can see solid Christian answers to these often malicious and deceptive posts. I mainly hope that my comments will give them a reasonable answer so that their faith will not be shaken if they are a Christian and if they are a non-believer that they can see the error of the poster's claims against Christianity. In fact, if it were not for the stories by Christian apologists like William Lane Craig, Hugh Ross, Frank Turek, and others, I would have a hard time believing that any atheist or non-believer could be saved. Based on my own experiences, they are willful non-believers. But those Christian apologists' testimonies about um, people they interact with are extraordinary, and William Lane Craig in particular has some amazing interactions with non-believers who are respectful, appreciative, and sometimes convert to Christianity because of his work. So that does give me some hope. There are a few things I see that the new or neo-atheists focus on recently. First, that God is cruel and tortures people in hell and murdered innocents in the Bible. How would you address this claim if you were in the Facebook group and saw posts day after day about it? And the Bible shows that Jesus is not God. That's their claim and post. Next, that the Bible is myth and there's no proof it's true. Then former Christians who claim they deconverted because Christianity is irrational and blind faith. Basically, they claim they saw the light. And a common one I see is that love is the only thing that's important. Kind of like love is their God. 
than cherry-picking things they like in the Bible and discarding the rest. And the claim that Christians ignore evidence against Christianity and assume God exists, so we're guilty of logical fallacies called special pleading and circular reasoning. And next, there's no evidence that God exists, and we cannot prove Christianity is true. That's a common one. And then just constant changing of definitions of key terms to fit their agenda. Some of these I've touched on in previous podcasts, but I'm going to go into a little more detail here and emphasize a couple of them in particular because they are important. Let's start where we always should foundationally with definitions and terms because that's a common trick deployed by so-called atheists. What is an atheist? It is and always has been the case that atheism is the belief that there is no God. But it's near impossible to defend this belief, so they changed the definition now to be a lack of belief. Instead, they will say that because we are making the exclusive claims, we're the ones who need to defend them, and they don't have to defend anything. That's just trying to put it on us. But let's suppose you provide some evidence. They'll just say that's not proof and that we may not know some answers yet from science, but we'll find them out in the future. That is science of the gaps. Just the opposite of what they accuse us of is God of the gaps. So you'll get nowhere unless you find someone who is actually intellectually honest and open to learning. My experience is that most of them are not. But everyone has beliefs. Ask them if they believe in neo-Darwinian evolution. Do they believe only the material world exists? Do they believe miracles are possible? Do they believe the Bible is reliable? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then they have beliefs. They should be able to defend whatever that belief is instead of ignoring it. If they answer no, then it seems to me they should be able to explain why not. Now, if they can answer they're not sure to those questions, which I doubt in most cases, then they're not really an atheist, but rather an agnostic. If they're a sincere agnostic, then they should be willing to review the evidence that Christianity is true. And that's what all these podcasts are about. If they review it then and say it's insufficient and not proof, then most likely they're in willful denial and do not want to believe. But if you can take them that far, you've done your job. I often ask the Facebook posters why they bother to post and try to persuade Christians their beliefs are unfounded. I've never yet seen an answer. Why would they spend so much time to try to convince us our faith is wrong? They just love us so much? I don't think so. I believe the only answer is that they're guided by Satan's influence. Otherwise, why do they care what we believe? It's definitely not out of some kind of love and compassion that we are misguided and will ruin our lives and they want to save us. There's no downside to belief in Jesus except the difficulty in being a good Christian and maybe some persecution that we're probably all going to have at some point. What about the claim we have no proof? Well, we did have a previous podcast about this. We have plenty of evidence to show God exists and the Bible is reliable. 
They can choose to not believe it or say it's not enough, but it's just wrong to say we have none. How about the logical fallacies of special pleading and circular reasoning? Well, it's just the reverse, actually. They are the ones guilty of what we call projection, accusing us of what they are guilty of. They already assumed God does not exist before looking at the evidence. They are the ones who refuse to look at the evidence, or at least push it aside as insufficient, yet their own evidence for the non-existence of God is what is insufficient and indefensible. What about claims that God is cruel and tortures people in hell and murdered innocents in the Bible? We also covered these, so let's just say there's no mention of torture in hell. The term used is torment and is mainly a type of extreme anguish, anxiety, and emotional pain, primarily because they know they'll have to endure it forever and be separated from God but they don't want to be with God anyway. And God does not and did not commit murder. Now, he did deliver judgment through death sometimes. Some women and children were included in that. But in, for example, the Canaanite destruction, they were saved by his grace from committing their own awful atrocities, murdering babies, if they were to continue their lives or if they were to grow up and follow the evil of their parents. Now, how about Christians who claim they now saw the light and that the Bible was wrong and Christianity is just blind faith? Again, we had podcasts, so let me just say we have faith, but it is not blind. All the evidence in the dozens of podcasts that I've done discussed so far is more than sufficient for belief in Christ. And I don't believe there is such a thing as a former Christian. Either there was not a sincere confession of faith originally, or they are in rebellion against Christ now. But the Holy Spirit does not enter and leave us over and over again if we had changes of heart about Christ. The Holy Spirit is sealed when we believe. That's what Scripture tells us. And the Holy Spirit knows if our confession of faith is sincere, and if it's not, will not indwell us from the beginning. What about this idea of love is all that is needed, and and it's the most important thing? Well, love is important, but this is part of their cherry-picking, and also part idolatry. They selectively decided that in 1 John, for example, that the Bible is correct, that anyone who loves knows God. But this does not mean they have God or are in God. It's merely an expression that God is love, and we all have the ability to love because he shares that love with us. But they readily accept this idea and dismiss the rest of the Bible. That's the cherry-picking. How can you admit God because you agree with the idea of love, but then deny him and everything else? It's hypocritical and stealing from God a standard that you accept while rejecting him and all else. And we also had a podcast showing that the Bible, in fact, does show Jesus as God, 
He claimed it in many different ways and was arrested, tortured, crucified, and killed because of it. So is all this that I've discussed to encourage you not to share about Jesus with non-believers? No. Share the gospel and defend it, and then be at peace and leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. I pray that your interactions will be successful and that you'll have the confidence and courage to make the efforts. Amen. Take care, friends.